Hey, if you would uh, take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Psalms and go to the first Psalm. Go to Psalm 1, one of my favorites, and I know it probably is for you too. And I want to encourage you tonight to look at your prayer list. And if you are watching by uh, live stream, you can go to gracewayokc.org and you can uh, go to the resources tab and you can download the newsletter and pray along with us. But for now, we look at the Word of God. If you uh, noticed in the newsletter, if you did look at it, I am going to have open-heart surgery on November 3rd, so I'd appreciate you praying about that. I keep having people ask me, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about it? Uh, My first thing is, what do you think? It doesn't sound like anything I want, and um, just kind of looking forward to getting it done and over with, I guess. And um, how does it feel? I feel like I'm in an airplane. It's a perfectly good airplane. Everything's going smooth. And all of a sudden, smoke starts coming out of the engines. And I know that I've got a choice. I can ride the thing down to the ground and hope I can crash land okay. Or I can take a parachute and I can jump out. And I feel like that this is taking the parachute. And I wouldn't be real thrilled about jumping out of the airplane regardless. But sometimes... You know, you have to, and that's kind of the way I feel. So you can pray with me about that. I'm just looking forward to getting it done, over with, and then back to a normal routine. It's going to be uh, very, very interesting. So uh, thank you for your prayers, and thank you all for your concern. That, that really means a lot to me. Um, let's uh, think about something now. When we talk about this idea of blessing. You know, uh, that's kind of become this generic term. Everybody in church uses it. But the times that I've asked around, hardly anybody can really define it. It's this thing that we say when we don't know what else to say. Okay? I'm praying for somebody and I'm kind of stuck. You know, uh, Christmas is coming up and you've had birthdays. You ever been stuck when you thought about, what am I going to get them? What, what, what do I want to get them? And then you ask them and they have to kind of work to think of something. You know, I'm that way when people ask me, what do you want? I don't know. And then I have to kind of think about it. And uh, then maybe you say, I know what I'll do. I'll just get them a gift card, right? Anything wrong with that? No, they can get whatever they want. But it's also the kind of thing that you get when you don't really know what to get. And I think for some people, praying a blessing on anybody or praying for a blessing is almost like asking for a generic gift card. It's not specific, and it's just a thing that you pray when you don't know what to pray. When you've run out of ideas to pray for people, you just say, Lord, bless them or bless me. But the Bible is a little more specific than that. The word blessing in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it has this idea of being uh, touched by God in such a way that it brings immense joy and happiness even into your life. And I know people have kind of said, God didn't intend for you to be happy. And yet the word blessed or blessed in the New Testament has the idea that there's going to be some happiness in it. That's why Paul and Silas, even though we might say the circumstances of their life weren't happy, and yet they were. They were singing in a prison at midnight. You don't do that. I I don't think there were funeral dirges that they were singing. They were singing praise to God. 
you have in the book of Acts accounts of where the disciples, after they were uh, put on trial and beaten, that they left. And what does it say? They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Um, you just find in the New Testament, in the early days of Christianity, they weren't glum, they weren't defeated, they weren't walking around with their heads down, poor me, and whining. There was a joy that they had, a blessedness that they had, and this psalm talks about that. Now, I was reading some things today, and uh, this is the first generation in American history that is abandoning the church. We're living right in the middle of it. And we might say, well, it's because they took prayer out of schools. That, that could contribute to it, I would imagine. Uh, there's no Bible reading in schools or anything like there used to be. It's hard for a lot of us, if you're my age, to even fathom that because we never had that. Uh, that could be part of it. Um, then you think about the explosion of entertainment. You go back into uh, when people my age were a kid, and we didn't have entertainment in our pocket everywhere we went. Uh, when we were in a car, we didn't have a show that we could watch. Whenever our parents got tired of us bugging us, they didn't hand us a phone so we could be occupied with the show. We didn't have anything like that, if you'll remember. And then you go back to the generation before me, and they didn't even have television. I don't know how they even survived without that. And then uh, you think about uh, they would listen to radio and radio programs and stuff and go back to the generation before that. They didn't even have that. Can you imagine a long winter up north in a log cabin just sitting in there day after day after day after day with no TV to watch, no radio to listen to, no live streaming, nothing like that. In fact, I can uh, give you an idea. What would your uh, COVID quarantine time in 2020 have been like? You didn't go to work. You didn't go to school. You're staying there in the house, and you had nothing to do. You talk about cabin fever. Well, that's the way people lived for thousands of years, especially in the winter. And so you, you think about how we have to be entertained all the time, occupied all the time. And yet during that time, we may be entertained and time may be flying by a little faster, but we don't do much thinking, do we? We uh, talk about amusement in the Greek language. Whenever you put an A on the front of something, it's called an alpha privative. It negates what comes after so to think is to muse. I'm musing over this. M-U-S-E. So amusement means no thinking. No thinking. Occupy my time so that I don't have to think. I just enjoy. I just have fun. And that's the culture that we live in now. And we've watched over the years in my lifetime. Um, I think it was John MacArthur who said this the other day that prior to the 1960s, nobody expected to ever be entertained at church. It was worship. And you came out of reverence for the Lord. And you came to learn and study His Word and fellowship with other people. But they didn't expect the sermon to be a comedy show. And they didn't expect the music to be like a concert or anything like that at all. They came out of reverence for the Lord. 
I was at a car wash one time and the attendant was there and I invited him to church and uh, he said well that all depends on what kind of church it is and I said well we're a Bible believing uh, Jesus loving friendly church and he goes no man and he did a weird thing with his hands I need the concert I need the concert and so for him church needed smoke and lights and all of these kind of things in order for it to be appealing to him why because that's a part of the entertainment genre in which we live and so just to teach the Bible it's kind of difficult on uh, this generation and we've got about the attention span of a gnat and so it's hard for us to pay attention and listen we're not really used to that type of thing unless there's some entertainment or something like that that's going along with it but that's not the whole issue either because even back in the day uh, the most popular preachers kinda had a little bit of entertainment to them Billy Sunday if you've heard of him he was an evangelist in the I guess the early 1900s and he would you know throw chairs and you know do all kinds of stuff like that there have been people that have done those kind of things Abraham Lincoln said he liked to listen to a preacher that preached like he had bees in his overalls and uh, that that type of thing and so there is some entertainment value in that some people would come to church because they feel so bad about what they've done and they kind of want the preacher to beat them up a little bit and to spank them spiritually then they can feel better it doesn't change their life but it makes them feel a little bit better so there's probably always been a little of that but not near as widespread as it is now uh, but that's not the whole issue some people will say well it's parenting it's parenting but you know I know some good godly parents who have done everything they know what to do and from my estimation it looks like they did everything right and yet their kids grow up and they've been in Sunday school and they've been in church and they've been through Awanas and they've been through a youth program and then when they go to college they abandon the whole thing and it's one thing to see kids that were raised up in church abandon church but so many of them now are abandoning the faith that's hard to imagine isn't it but we got preachers doing it too Joshua Harris he wrote the book I kiss dating goodbye and he also wrote the book stop dating the church and those type of things and he was a pastor of a mega church in uh, Baltimore Maryland and uh, just this past year he uh, said in a in a tweet I can no longer be identified as a Christian that's a pastor that's a guy who's been a best-selling author uh, we're seeing things like that everywhere we look what is going on with all of that well I, I don't even pretend to have all of the answers on these kind of things because we certainly want to be better and we want to be more effective and I'm, I'm starting to think that churches instead of focusing on growth that we probably need to focus on effectiveness because whether the church is a mega church or whether it's a small one like ours it doesn't seem to make much difference reaching this generation and reaching our own children our own children is getting increasingly more difficult something is wrong and so I think we need to look and say are we effective and I think that's also a good thing to look at 
in our own personal life. And that's kind of what this psalm is about. Are we effective? It's not so much do we go to church, but are we effective? Is the word doing a work in our life? It's not so much what do we believe, but is it working in our life? Are we effective in our prayer life, in our witnessing, in our moral life, and all of that? Because so many people are living double lives. Um, it's not uncommon anymore for a family member to die and then the family to discover things about that person that they had no idea about. And occasionally you read about a man who had actually two families and nobody knew about it. Now that's not really anything new. My own grandfather did that and I've heard other stories about it. But, uh, you know, to find that out when you didn't know it is kind of a shock. When you find out that this person who sang in the choir, uh, taught a Sunday school class, and then they pass away suddenly, and then you find that their computer is filled with pornography, or even worse, maybe it's child pornography or something like that. I mean, that kind of stuff happens, and people uncover those things. Or they uncover a huge astronomical gambling debt or something like that. Or they find out that Dad the deacon was a closet drinker, and he was an alcoholic, and that, that type of thing. I mean, we could think of all kinds of scenarios. Um, the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, doesn't that sort of describe our culture? We don't know whether we're Christian or pagan. We don't know whether we're going to live a holy life or an unholy life. And we kind of try to balance it by doing both. And we're like the guy on the tight wire who's no good at it. We're kind of swaying back and forth. And, um, you know, everybody's wondering if we're going to fall. And there are a lot of people that go to church every week, and they're kind of like that in their spiritual life. They're not really stable, and they're double-minded, and they're frustrated in their prayer life because James goes on to say that that double-minded person said, Let not that man think that he will receive anything from God. And so it's not until we get our minds and our hearts right and singularly focused upon the Lord, committed to Him, committed to Him. Somebody asked an Israeli general, why is it that with limited population, limited land area, with all of the Arab countries around you that want to destroy you, why is it that you win war after war after war? You know what his answer was? It wasn't tanks. It wasn't foreign aid. It wasn't anything like that. It was one word. You know what he said? Commitment. Commitment. And he told the story about a young Jewish man in uh, California that came to Israel, and he knew an Israeli general, and uh, he was living there in a kibbutz, and when the time came for him to be 18, he had to either join the military in Israel or come back to the States. And this general said, I assumed, like all Americans, he would come back to the United States, but he didn't. He joined the Israeli army. After he went through his basic training and got assigned, he contacted this general and said, I need to meet with you. And the general said, I assumed he was going to come asking for a favor, asking for a desk job, asking for something that is safe or something like that. And instead, he said, I want to be reassigned to the toughest unit that you've got with the hardest training. I want to be involved in something big. And he went through all of that and ended up sacrificing his life 
for the cause in Israel. And the general said, that's why we are never defeated. That's the way our soldiers are. They're not always the brightest and the best out of anything in the world, and we're not the biggest, but we are committed to the very end to die for our cause. Well, doesn't that sound like what Jesus calls us to do? To take up our cross and to follow after him. And I wonder if maybe our children are seeing us as moralistic and um, legalistic maybe even. And they see, it, see us as going to church. Don't change that yet. I'm not ready for it. Um, and we, they see all of that. And then they see the other side of us when no church people are looking and they wonder what in the world is going on and what's really happening and we sing about how the Lord has changed our lives and maybe our kids are growing up with us sure wishing that he would because it doesn't seem to fit together and maybe when they get around Christians Christians always seem to be kind of down in the mouth kind of sad kind of beaten down and they don't really find much joy in their religion. They don't really find much joy in their faith. It's just something that they have to do. And then when they watch it, they can notice that a few raindrops can all of a sudden change the whole story of commitment to church. They can find out that whatever the cause may be, there could be a rift that happens between two people and all of a sudden they're not committed to that same program or that same uh, theology or system anymore and maybe they look at all of that and they go yeah it's not working for you I'm sure it won't work for me in fact George Barna the guy that does so much research let's go ahead and go to the first slide he found out that those who are in the younger generations coming up now those who are in college and even uh, young married even the ones that were raised in church when they were looking to see what they wanted in church and he did all of the research and it boiled down to this they uh, were moralistic in the way that they look at things now my first thought would be oh they're looking for some morality in this immoral world it's not what they mean what they mean is they want a place that will let them feel that they are good enough the way that they are now, you know, you see that all over, the, uh, all over social media. I am enough. Anybody ever heard that? I am strong. You know, and I'm, Helen Reddy's voice always comes in my mind, and I can't stand her. But that, you know, I am strong, I am invincible, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's the cry of the world right now. I am strong and I am enough. Well, then you come in and you hear the gospel. And what does the gospel tell you? That you're not strong, number one. And number two, you're not enough. You're inadequate. You're a failure. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, that blesses you. If, if you're looking for somebody to say, you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips, the gospel's not going to appeal to you. And so they hear this and they go, oh, it's all negative. And all they ever talk about is sin and they don't realize we're doing them a favor when we talk about sin when we warn them about hell when we warn them about the judgment that is going to come and because of this so many churches are trying to package everything that church is like you know it's a day at six flags i mean oh it's so wonderful and there are pastors that don't even want to mention 
the word hell, much less the concept of hell. And they don't talk about sin. No, no, the world's negative enough. Joel Osteen says, the world is negative enough. We don't need to talk about sin in church anymore. And then you have flat-out liberals who say our mission is, and this is a president of a Baptist college, a Southern Baptist college, who said we don't need to be telling people how to be saved. We need to tell them that they are saved because of Jesus. So in other words, we're all just good. And we may struggle sometimes, but we're good people. And so all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God doesn't resonate with them. So they go someplace else where they can find this view where they can be the moralistic. And, you know, they will look at us and say, well, you're just a bunch of pharisaical do-gooders. And yet, stop and think, and you guys will get this, it was the Pharisees who were the moralists, weren't they? I thank you that I'm not as other men are. And that's the way our generation is. They can see sin in other people, but they don't see it in themselves. And they're just not that bad. And that's what they really expect out of church. And if we're a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, uh, Jesus-loving church, we can't give them that message. We have to tell them the truth. And so they're looking for this moralistic view of worship that uh, tells them, I'm good, I'm okay the way that I am. The second thing that he found in this is that they are not only moralistic but they're looking for a church that's therapeutic therapeutic now this isn't entirely wrong when you read Jesus criticism of the church at Laodicea he said uh, you're neither hot nor cold but you're lukewarm therefore I'm going to spew you out of my mouth and there were, uh, back in those days in the Roman Empire, some of those places it was hard to get water to. So here's a place with a lot of water, here's a place with very little. So they would make these big aqueducts. You've seen pictures of those. And the water would flow down the aqueduct for miles to get to this place. What do you suppose that water was like? Oh, it's pure Rocky Mountain spring water over here, right? By the time it goes in that aqueduct, they're open. Birds have been in it. Insects have been in it. There's all kinds of things that could happen to it. It cools down. It's kind of muddy. It's kind of gross, depending on the material that the aqueduct was made out of. And by the time it gets over there, it's like, boy, who wants a nice, refreshing, warm, brown glass of water? I mean, it didn't taste good. It didn't smell good. It was necessary for life and for watering crops. That's about the best that they could do. And near Laodicea, there was um, Hierapolis, I think it was, that they had hot springs. And people could go there, and when they got in that water, it was boiling hot, and it was therapeutic. It made them feel better. They went there for health and all of that. And then, not too far on the other side, I can't think of the town, the waters were fresh, and they were cold, and oh, it felt good to get in it and cool off. It was wonderful to drink. And what Jesus is saying to that church, you're neither cool and refreshing, like living water, or therapeutic that has help for the wounded and the hurting. You're just lukewarm like the waters in that aqueduct, and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, which is probably what most people did when they took a drink of that Laodicean water. They'd drink it, pff, ah, nasty. And I think we are seeing the generation where I pray that the Lord doesn't spew us out of his mouth, 
but it sure seems like the upcoming generation has. And so the effectiveness would be, are we the welcoming, war, uh, refreshing, cooling waters that people would want to drink? Or are we like the hot springs that people come into and they say, oh, my life has been so hard, I've been so beat up by all of this, that uh, I find through the Word of God how to handle it and how to be, have healing for my soul. Neither one of those things would be bad if they're based upon the Bible. But so many times now you find people that want to throw out parts of the Bible and they don't want to talk about difficult subjects or anything that might offend anybody. And what happens is our message and our meetings become just lukewarm brown, nasty kind of, you know, looking water that's not, uh, you know, very good for anybody. And we don't even really like it. And so when our children see all of that, even though they've been in church, and all they know about church is, shh, and be quiet and don't run and settle down and you know better than that, act like that. And people come with high expectations. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to find friends. People will talk to me. I'm not going to be lonely. And they get shunned. They sit in the wrong place. They don't know what to do. They get ignored. Uh, all of those kind of things. What do you think and suppose the next generation is going to do? I'm tired of the rules. I'm tired of the boredom. I'm tired of everything else that goes on. And I'm tired of the hypocrisy. I am out of here I'm not sure anything is going. And so when they do look for a church, they want a church that's therapeutic. You've got to be able to help me. You've got to have something for me. And so that's, uh, you know, how it's going to work. The time that they come to church, that's the time when somebody's going to be preaching on a certain doctrine or a theology or something like that that feeds the souls of true believers. But they look and they go, well, there's nothing in that for me. And so they leave. It didn't help my marriage. It didn't help me get a promotion at work. It's not going to show me how to have more friends. It's not going to make me a lot of money. And so no wonder the churches that tell you that Jesus will make sure that you're never sick again. Jesus will make sure that your checking account never uh, is empty again. And all of that kind of thing. Well, people flock to that and they look at it until they figure out that it doesn't work. Because they're looking for this moralistic thing that says, you're okay the way you are. And here's something therapeutic that we're going to make you a better you and improve your life. And then the last thing that he found was they have a deistic view of God. For those that are not atheists anyway, because uh, a lot of people are embracing atheism right now. But uh, there are these other ones that are kind of having the view of a deist. What does a, a deist believe? It was a pretty popular um, system of thought when our country was founded. And it's the idea that God is like a clockmaker. And he makes this clock. Let's say it's a big grandfather clock. And he uh, takes the weight and the chain and he winds the clock. Now the clock is moving, the pendulum is swinging, he sets it on the right time, and he closes the case, and then he walks off and he forgets about it. And they see God as, yeah, he exists, and maybe he did kind of make everything through evolution and all of that. They're big believers in theistic, theistic evolution. But God is not really personally involved in the affairs of life or government or you or me or anything like that. He's far off somewhere. And he's just watching us from a distance. Now when you have the view 
that says the only kind of church I'm going to be interested in is a church that makes me feel good the way I am whether I'm homosexual whether I'm living in adultery whether I'm strung out on drugs whether I'm a transgender whether I am a thief whatever it may be I need to feel good about myself in fact that's kind of invading our justice system now that these prisoners you know they may have murdered six people but it's because they don't feel good about themselves and we try to reform that kind of stuff well that's the cry of the world don't cry that I need to change anything accept me just the way that I am and you know the sad thing is they don't know that Jesus will do exactly that he will accept them just as they are the problem is for them they know that if they are going to be in line with the will of God and serve Jesus that Jesus is going to change their life and they're resistant to all of that change now I know they point at all of the old people and say you just don't want to change you don't want to keep up with the times and yet they're the ones that are claiming I was born this way and you have no right to expect me to change that's kind of a tad hip hypocritical isn't it and then others are going along and they're saying well I've changed and I've had surgeries and all of that to change my life and you better accept it and in this free society where everybody's so tolerant they're cramming all of this down our throats and if we even make a peep back in defense or something like that, then uh, in this culture we are canceled. We're doxxed. We are in trouble on that. So we're, we're afraid to say anything. We don't know what to say. And uh, yet they desperately need to hear the truth. And so that does a couple of things. One thing for them, it's not exposing them to what they really need to hear and know and for us, it's making us afraid to open our mouths. And so the devil's saying, hey, chalk one up for me. That's exactly what I'm wanting. And we're playing right into his hands. The other thing that he found out of this upcoming generation is syncretism. They believe that all religion uh, and philosophies are all basically the same. So what do you do? You just like you're at... Uh, Furs or lubies. You just walk down the line and tell the people what you want. I'll take a little of that. No, I don't want that. I'll take some of this and some of this. And so they're all confused. And remember, God's not the author of confusion. But they're confused about what's good or bad, right or wrong, or moral or immoral. Because they've taken a little dab of this and a little dab of this and a little dab of this. And a spoonful of Christianity and two teaspoons of Hinduism and a little Buddhism over here. And, oh, well, we don't want to be unfair to the Muslims, so we'll take a tablespoon of that. And they don't know what they believe or where they land or what they're going to do. So what do we do about that? And my theory in reading this psalm is we need to be the blessed man or woman of Psalm 1. When we do that, we have credibility when we speak. Boy, if you'll trust Jesus, he'll give you joy. And they look at us and they go, like yours? I'd rather shoot up with heroin and really have something. We tell them, oh, Oh, Jesus is just all you need. Oh, really? And I look at the way you live. I'd rather go over here and live in a mansion and have a limousine and, and fame and fortune. I don't want what you've got. And they look at our lives, and our lives don't really appear to be all that great or really working all that well. And so uh, the text that we're going to look at tonight in Psalm 1 is telling us uh, the very first word, blessed, happy, joyful, 
to be envied. The Greek word in the New Testament has much the same idea, makarios. This is something that it really stands out in uh, comparison to the rest of the world. And it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel or the advice, you know, of the wicked, of the ungodly, pardon me. And boy, you can get that. If you're Googling your theology, you're probably doing this and uh, wondering why you're not blessed. The counsel, the advice of the ungodly, nor stands, and that kind of means hanging out and chilling out, uh, we might say, in the path of sinners. We're not separate from them. We're not different from them. We're kind of hanging around them while they're doing it, and they don't even know that we would uh, have any problem with it, and we're not really doing anything about it. We're just kind of hanging out and acting like everything's cool and everything's groovy with all of this. Nor stands in the path of sinners. And then it gets worse. First we were just kind of walking with them. Then we were standing in the midst of them. And then the next thing it is, now we're sitting down and getting comfortable. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And if by this point, we're kind of acting like they do, just mocking everything. And uh, yeah, well, I tried that and it didn't work for me. And I, you know, and all of that. And we don't look any different than them. Uh, verse 2 says that the blessed man is different than that. What is a blessed person really like? Well, his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord. That's scripture. That's all they had then was the Old Testament. And uh, for us, it would be all of it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. In other words, our thoughts correspond to our songs. Our thoughts and attitudes correspond to our amens to the preaching. Our, our thoughts and our attitudes correspond to the doctrine and theology we say we believe. Because we're sending a mixed message to so many people. So, um, here's how I kind of outlined it. If you really want to be blessed, number one is the desire you ought to have. Blessed is the man. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be blessed. I just don't think we know what a blessing is. We think it might be a really cool car. We think it might be fashionable clothes. We think it might be a big bank account. We think it might be our investments really growing or something like that. And yet, uh, when we think about the word blessed, there's nothing wrong with us wanting to be blessed. In fact, I think the more you desire to be blessed, the better you're going to do. But you have to get to point number two. And that's what I call the definition you ought to know. Here's what the blessed man looks like. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. And he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Now this is not saying, stay away from all them wicked sinners. Boy, they'll rub off on you. That's not what this is about. This is about a person who has kind of given up on God. He's given up on prayer. He's given up on Bible study. He's given up on church. He's given up on fellowship. And so now he thinks, you know, there may be something for me. And then you name your poison, uh, whatever it is that's out there in the world. Just going to kind of try it. 
And at first, he just sort of hangs around and watches. Then he decides, you know, maybe it's not so bad and I'm not all that uncomfortable here. I'll participate in it. And then finally, he sits down and just joins in full-fledged. And what happens? His life doesn't become blessed, but he becomes a cynic. He becomes a skeptic. He becomes somebody who doesn't believe in anything and he's happy about nothing. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing uh, we are watching such an uptick in suicide right now. And people that otherwise seem to have it all and they're getting to do what they want and pursuing what they think would make them happy because our culture kind of allows that now. And you know what they're finding? There's no happiness there. And a lot of Christians are falling into the same trap. If I only didn't have to go to church all the time. And so they abandon church. And they're no more happy now than they were when they were sitting in church. There are times when they look at a marriage and they go, you know what, if I just didn't have to put up with you, but boy, if I could put up with her, now that would be doing something. And so they go to a second or third or more marriage and they find out that they take their trouble with them everywhere they go. Some people do that with location. If I could just move and I didn't have to live around all of these people anymore and get a fresh start. And they find out that their fresh start is drinking out of that lukewarm, tepid, brown water, and it doesn't refresh their soul. We live in a disappointed culture and a disappointed world, and very few people are really happy. And uh, we used to sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And their question was, where? I don't see it. And uh, this is why we've got to seek the blessing of the Lord. And so if we are doing this, we're not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly and we're not going to stand in the path of the sinners and we're not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. We're going to reject all of that. Boy, we do live in a sarcastic world right now. And nobody's happy. And our nation is so divided, you know, after uh, the last four or five years that it's amazing. And people can't get along. And neither side is just, you know, jumping for joy on anything. And uh, then you bring that into the church. That's pretty sad, pretty sad. And no wonder nobody is really all that interested. And then thirdly, look at the delight that you need. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that if we can get people to read their Bible, it changes their life. Okay? All of the research shows that if you read your Bible one time a week, you don't look much different than the average person in society in terms of attitude and actions and all of that. If you read your Bible twice a week, nothing much changes. In fact, they even went to three times a week and nothing really changed. But when they got people to be in the Word of God four times a week, then all of a sudden their attitude and their depression and their outlook on life and their actions and their ambition, everything began to change. Because you see a person who, you know, they read their Bible on Sunday and they follow along with the pastor and that's about it. They don't really delight. I wouldn't call that delighting in the Word. The person who gets up and they have their quiet time, even if it's going to kill them, that may be a little bit more superstition and ritual and legalism than it is delighting in the word of God. The psalmist here is saying that the blessed man who counters all of this kind of stuff and has the joy of the Lord is the one who not only reads the word but delights in it. 
And they look at it and they say, oh, Lord, is that what you want? I haven't been doing that. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Now I want my life to change, to reflect what you want me to do. And they do it with joy and not with despair. And they don't do it with a bad attitude. They do it with a grateful heart in all of that. And that's what needs to happen, the delight that you need. The delight in hearing the Word of God taught in Sunday school. The delight of hearing the Word of God preached from this pulpit. The delight of having the Word of God with you where you can read it every single day and feed and nourish your soul. Even on the things you don't understand, it'll still feed and nourish your inner man, your spirit, and make you strong. And you've got to delight in the Word of God. And number four, the daily discipline that you cannot overlook. What is that? In his law, he... What's your Bible say? Meditates. I thought meditation was bad or sinful or something. No, it's in the Word of God if you do it right. And here's the deal. You're not kicking your mind into neutral or anything like that. It's not self-hypnosis or anything like that. He meditates on the law of God, on the Word of God. How often? Day and night. It's always with him. It affects the way he lives during the day. That means work. That means school. That means family. That means everything. And it also affects him at night. Have you noticed how much sin takes place after dark? And even at night, even at night, the godly man who is blessed meditates on the Word of God. And that just simply means this. It's not enough to just come and hear the Word of God preach. You've got to think. You've got to remember it. You've got to apply it. It's not enough to get up in the morning and read a chapter out of Romans and close it and then go about your merry business. You've got to think on the Word of God. You've got to engage your mind, loving the Lord your God with everything you've got. And he mentioned mind in there. You meditate on it. It's a picture of a cow that grazes and grazes and grazes and then goes and sits under a shade tree. And then what do they do? They bring up what they've eaten and they chew their cud. And you're supposed to spiritually... Chew your cud. You're supposed to think on the Word of God and meditate on it. Put yourself to sleep with the Word of God. Let the Word of God rule in your heart and your attitudes in commuter traffic. Let it rule your heart and mind when you have a boss that's cranky. Let it rule your heart and mind when you're tempted to steal something or you're tempted to lust after something. And, and don't let it happen. This is how you uh, are blessed. And so what do you really want? Because what you really want is what you pursue. And what do you think it's going to do for you? I asked someone not too long ago in a counseling session that had been involved in a, a sinful thing that they got caught in. And my question is, what did you think was going to happen? And what they answered was the most unrealistic thing that I've ever heard in my life. And that's because we just follow our gut and follow our instinct and we get trapped. Because that's the way the enemy leads us. So you got to think about things. Why do you do what you do? And what do you think is going to happen? What do you expect? Here's another one. What do you delight in? Because you'll find time and money for anything that delights you. People do that all the time. Oh, money's just tight until they decide they're going to buy ice cream. Money's just tight until they decide they want a new car that's cooler than the one that they've got or new clothes or something. It's amazing how we can find a way to pursue and get what we really delight in. And uh, think about this. What are you disciplined in? 
Even the most undisciplined person is disciplined in something because they actually value it and they think it's going to do something in their life. They, they can find time to look at an internet porn. They can find time for drugs. They can find time for alcohol. They can find time for whatever it is they want to do because they have something in their mind and in their heart where they delight in all the wrong things. Some people delight in fighting and arguing and stirring up trouble and stuff like that. Families are full of all of that. Just, just think about it. And the psalmist gives us a different way and he gives us a better way. That we should desire blessing and then we should understand how God blesses. And it's defined for us there in verse 2. That's what the blessing of God is. Will it impact everything? Yeah, you'll be a better money manager. You'll have a better marriage. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better church member. You'll be a better witness for Christ. In fact, when people get into this and into the Word, it changes everything and they become a witness without anybody telling them to. You'll delight, when you delight in what God says in His Word, then you're excited about it. It's not a drudgery. The Bible says His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because we delight in them. And they lighten our load. And they change our life and everything about it. And we have the joy of the Lord as we obey Him. And God's pleasure being upon our life. And the Holy Spirit not being grieved any longer in us, but being delighted. And we share in that delight. And then you discipline. And when you discipline yourself, you're disciplining your mind. And the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever you're thinking on, you've got to discipline your mind to quit it. And start thinking on the right things. Start thinking on the things that are going to benefit you and benefit other people. As Paul said, they're praiseworthy, they're good, they're virtuous. All of those things that he said to the Philippian believers. And that doesn't just happen because it just, woo, it just hit me. It happens because you choose to do it. You discipline yourself to think on the Word of God. So you discipline your mind and you think about what you read in Scripture and you begin to apply it to your life. And it's not just a, I wish I could, somebody um, a, a prime minister of England met with a preacher to find out what God's plan was for the Jews because at that time Britain um, controlled Palestine and uh, he said to the preacher you've got 30 minutes that's all I can spare and he got so enthralled with what the preacher was telling him out of the word of God he canceled all of his appointments and spent hours that day with him and when he got through he said reverend he said, I would give the world to know the Bible like you do. And the preacher said, Mr. Prime Minister, that's exactly what it'll cost you. And uh, whether he ever did or not, I don't know. But that's the kind of thing that we sing, take the world, but give me Jesus. Do we really mean that? Do we really mean that? And we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And some of us are looking around and go, where are they? Where are they? Well, now you see... Where they come from, they come from God, but he reserves them. He's not going to reward bad or sinful or destructive behavior. He's going to reward and bless those who seek after him. So desire it, figure out what it is according to the word of God, and then delight in his word and uh, treat it like you would a bowl of ice cream or something like that. And then discipline yourself to not just read it and not just say, oh, that was good and forget. But to discipline yourself to meditate 
on the Word of God. God spoke to Joshua before he went to battle. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, he tells him that you are to meditate on my word so that you will be careful to do it. In other words, obey it. That's the goal. And then you will prosper and have good success. And so if Joshua wasn't going to know the word, think on the word, delight in the word, meditate on the word, and obey the word, then he wouldn't have had the success that he had. And there's a principle in there that we need to learn as well. God's not in this business simply to hurt us or to destroy our dreams or any of those kind of things. But he does say this, if you'll repent and you'll put your trust in me and you'll surrender to me as your Lord, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. And he'll lead you into green pastures when you need it. Doesn't mean you won't go through some deserts on the way there, but he'll get you there. And he'll let you drink of that cool water that is still and ready for you to drink, that doesn't frighten the sheep or wash you downstream or anything. He'll give that to you and he'll bless you. But his definition is what counts, and that's what we find in the book of Psalms in this first chapter. So think on these things for your well-being and for the glory of God. Okay? Would you uh, take a look at your newsletter? And uh, you can see on the front the things that are upcoming. And make sure that you mark on your calendars and put a reminder in your phone for everything that is appropriate. And for some of those things that you go, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me. Yeah, it does, because we're all part of the same church. So even if it's the ladies gathering and you're a, a man, you know what? You can have a part in that by praying for the ladies meeting. You can pray for these things that are going on, as well as turning it over and seeing the prayer list that is going on up here. And I personally just want to say thank you for caring for me and my family. And thank you for praying for us. And um, it's one of those things where you go, this too will pass. And I'm so glad that I have a church family that is walking with me as we go through this. And uh, so thankful for your prayers and for your support. Not only for me, but for Sammy because she has to take care of me. And uh, for my kids and grandkids, just thank you so much for that. And may the Lord bless you as you pray and as you bless other people as well because I'm not the only one that's in the church that's hurting. I think about Bob Hooker and his shoulder or Bill Lackey and his surgery on his shoulder. I think about Diana Long and what she's going through as she recovers. I'm thinking about Susan Hall and her chemotherapy. And we could go on and on and on, people that have had COVID and coming out of it. And if you've had COVID, you know that it's not just getting through the time where you don't have it anymore. The aftermath is rough as well. Just pray for one another. And then just think about other people that are struggling right now with their kids struggling with a, a marriage that they're committed to. But, oh, it's hard, hard to live in that. And um, if you want a good book on marriage, you get Paul Tripp's book, What Did You Expect? And uh, it's what happens when you put sinners together. And think about people that are afraid about the economy. Have you noticed gas prices, anybody? Am I the only one? You know what they're also saying too? Natural gas prices. That's what I heat my house with. That they could go up as much as 95% above what they were last year. Yikes! Until I stop and go, wait a minute. My God said I will supply 
all your needs according to my riches and glory. I don't know where his oil wells are, but he's got a bunch of them. And he said he would supply. And he's not out of money. And he'll take care of you. And that gives you peace. And that gives you rest. And then we look at everything and we say, you know what? This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Right? My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Boy, that songwriter was right. And I think what God is doing right now is saying, hey, 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 you uncomfortable in the world? Yeah, I sure am. I don't understand anything politically, economically. I don't understand the culture. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Why are you allowing all this? So you won't feel at home here. There's something better waiting for you. Right? And we've got an eternity to enjoy all of that. An eternity to see what it's like when everything is done right. Because that will be nothing but righteousness because it's God's home that he's inviting us to. And I look forward to being there someday for an eternity. Amen? And that's what we had to look forward to. But in the meantime, I want to be blessed while I walk through this wicked world so that my family and friends and neighbors, church, other people can see and look and say, there goes a blessed man. Not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm super spiritual, but because I do what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. I want to be like that tree by the waters that's fruitful regardless of what's going on around it. Okay? Let's stop and have a word of prayer. Lord, in our prayer time tonight, we want to remember the sick. We want to remember the suffering. We want to remember those who are lonely. We want to remember those who are grieving. We want to remember those who are fighting battles that we look at and we don't even fully understand. But you do. And we want to remember lost people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And that everything they do in life just kind of blows up in their face. We pray for them. But we also pray for the lost people who are just as dead in their trespasses and sins. And yet they have the Midas touch. Everything turns to gold. And they're so self-sufficient. And they have everything they could ever want. And they see no need for God. Oh, have mercy on them as well, Lord. And bring them to repentance. And bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray for our church. And Lord, our prayer for our church is that we would be healthy. We'd be walking with you. And we would be effective. And we'll let you take care of the size of the church. But there is no excuse for us not being effective as a body of Christ because we've got everything we need to do whatever you want us to do at this particular point in time. Let us be faithful. And Lord, bless us personally that we would actually delight in the Word of God. And some of us need to repent about that and confess it as sin. That we're bored by your word. We don't care about your word. We're apathetic toward your word. We don't want to do the hard work to understand your word. Let us delight in your word. Because you've exalted your word above your name. And bring us to the place, Lord, to where we are disciplined. Bringing our thoughts into captivity, as the Apostle Paul said. So that we force our mind to think on the things of God that we read in his word. 
instead of just letting it wander or letting it kick into neutral or letting the world just pump everything they want to pump into us. And so, Lord, we're praying that you might do a great, mighty, magnificent work for your glory by blessing us in the way that we see in Psalm 1. All of us. And we pray this, Lord, for your glory in Jesus' name. And because we love you, and more so because you love us, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.